0: Jess
1: and I'm George
0: and this is
1: TransFantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation and all the life that happens between them.
0: Hey friends, do we sound a little more echoey this time? We've got the whole room back,
1: the big room. We've got a big room. Were we echoey when we had a guest before?
0: We did have an echo in our guest before because of the bigger room. Oh. It's not bad echo, it's just more, I don't know, resonance more.
1: Okay. Reverb. I'm surprised she didn't stuff us all into the bedroom, then. It's not bad. It must not be, because she's pretty picky.
0: (laughs) So we have guests. (laughs) George's friend and his wife, who we have mentioned before, uh, they lead our Bible study, and they have had a lot of experiences with religion in the queer community. And we mentioned before that we were going to bring them on, so hi. Hi.
1: Hi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So... Both of you came to faith later in life. You were not raised in the church either of you. True. Mm-hmm. Would you like to discuss how you would come to faith, when you were exposed to faith, how that touched you and how you came into the choice of participating in the faith that you did?
1: I was going to interject when you said you know, they have a lot of experience with, did you say, religion and the queer community? Much to their surprise. <laughs> yes.
0: True. Yes, so, we'll get there in a but moment. We'll start,
2: we'll start at the beginning. Because <laughs>
0: that's how I like to tell stories. I, know, <laughs> yeah.
2: I was in college, and um, I felt like something was missing. I was searching for answers, and I was asking about spiritual things. I was raised in a somewhat spiritual household, but not religious at all. And so I was looking for answers. And I met some Christian people who told me about Christ. And I wasn't very open to it, but I wasn't close to it either. It was just sort of there. And one day I was in my apartment by myself, and I had this very intense spiritual experience that I, that I can only explain as God kind of intervening and, and revealing himself to me. And it was kind of like, you know... Moses having, you know, God say to him, you know, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And, and I felt like I interpreted that as God saying you're searched in the right direction. Keep going. So that's how I came to faith.
0: So you said your friends had told you about Christ. What does that mean for a lot of our our friends who are not people of faith? What does it mean to have been told about Christ?
2: What about Christ did they tell you? Well,
0: I've I've been told a lot of things about Christ. (laughs) She
1: tells me things about Christ and I I don't know what she's talking about.
2: (laughs) These these friends that I met were kind of in the, the typical evangelical stripe of Christianity. And so the way that evangelicals often talk about Christ and faith is they talk about how all of us are sinners and that keeps us separated from God and the kind of life that God wants for us. And the way that Jesus solved that problem was dying on the cross for us, and so that's one of the reasons why I really wasn't that open to it because it sounded kind of hokey.
1: Yeah, I, I can I can feel you on that. One.
2: <laughs> I told you what? But I was I was searching, and then I had that experience in my apartment, and so I was like, okay. Well, I guess I'll go with it.
3: Well, you were drinking yourself to sleep every night at that point in your I life. It was. It was.
2: I was really searching. I was really feeling empty.
3: So how about you? I had, um, a young experience with Christ the first time. I think about it as a twofold experience. When I was about six, I started going to a little church, this little Sunday school, and they told me that if you accept Jesus into your heart, you can pray to him and he'll answer you. And I remember clearly, Going home, I had these reoccurring nightmares every night and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I prayed that he would take away my nightmares and they went away. I never had another nightmare. And so my relationship with God as a child was very concrete like that. Very, I would pray and he would answer and it was very clear. But then we moved to the big city and I totally forgot that I ever had had that relationship with God. I did the same thing. I got involved in the drug, sex, and rock and roll of the 70s. And then I met some Christians on my campus. By then I was trying, I was really searching. I was looking into the new age kind of stuff that was happening at that time. And eventually was invited to go to camp at Catalina Island with a bunch of Christian kids from my school. And I felt like the speaker there was just reading my mail. I felt like he was answering all of my questions. And at the end of the week, he gave us time to go away and process and pray and think about what it would mean to sort of give Jesus the leadership of our lives. And I thought that through and I thought about all the consequences and made that decision. So that was 35 years ago about.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What kind of consequences did you think about? Well, having to, you know,
3: give up the drugs and the sex. Uh
0: Some of that I was
3: ready to give up. Not the rock and roll. Not the (laughs) rock and roll. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. And if I was in charge of my life, my plan was to go to Hollywood and be a movie star. And I knew that I needed to let go of that plan and just find out what God's plan for my life would be. And That was the hardest thing to give up, that sort of control over what was next. And what I thought was best might not be what he thought was best. So I didn't end up going to Hollywood, but I had a great life. I've had a great life. No regrets about that decision
1: the beginning of your story mm-hmm. about the getting rid of the nightmares got me interested suddenly because i have been having all these weird dreams so i thought wait a second maybe i do need to know more <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you uh, should try it
1: that's all <laughs> i don't know what to say
0: yeah you'd have to give up the drug sex and rock and roll uh,
1: hey, not the sex not the drugs either <laughs> <laughs> i just got them prescribed 2 years ago today
0: mm
2: Congratulations. Happy anniversary.
0: Woohoo! Happy anniversary. We'll have to record about that <laughs> yeah. within the next couple of days, too.
1: Yeah, we should do that.
0: Once you guys were each individually integrated into your respective faith communities, how did you guys come together and start working together?
3: So I went to college and got involved in a campus ministry. And I loved it. I grew so much in my spiritual life through that uh, organization. And so when I graduated, I really wanted to come on staff with that organization. And I moved to Sacramento to work at Sac City and Sac State. But I went to a church, and the college and career director was this man. And his job was to make me feel welcome. He did a really good job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, he's still doing a good job. He's sitting right next to you. Yes,
2: he is. So I got when, after I decided to be a Christian, the pastor asked me right away to get involved with the youth ministry at that church that was in Davis, California at the time. And I just really, really loved working with the kids. And so that got me involved. It got me involved in the life of the church community and with the kids and with other people, other adults. and And I found that I really enjoyed the Christian community and this was this was before the culture war started and all the questions that came up for me through those but I really really enjoyed it and so then when I moved to Sacramento to finish school I got involved in this large church in Sacramento and I became the leader of the young adult ministry there when my wife moved to town and you guys have heard about how we met <laughs> there through church and I it was my job to make her feel welcome and so Lovely. I did. And, so <laughs> and, then,
0: and we can tell. <laughs>
2: uh, then when I graduated from college, I joined the same campus ministry organization that she was working for, and we started working together.
3: And then the organization suggested that we move to start somewhere new together, and that's how we ended up here. And that was 31 years ago, so we've been here a long time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we came for three. We thought we'd be here three years. I'm we, just we we
1: never... not a fan of our... Small not area, a small but, but I like person. it. It's all right.
2: I don't mind the smallness of it, but the dryness of it is something I've never gotten used to. Mm-hmm.
0: Nor I. Mm-hmm. In almost 10 years, I still mm-hmm. have to have the humidifier on full blast.
2: <laughs> I have to take frequent you know, trips to California or Oregon just so I can see the color green.
0: We we go up <laughs> in That's the mountains to find drive. our green, but mm-hmm. it's very pointy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <gasps>
1: So this is a very different conversation that we've had, and Jess and I often do talk about spiritual things Uh and her relationship to religion, which some of our listeners have mentioned they they enjoy that we have that and that Uh we have a positive outlook on that, you know, that we accept each other at the places we're at. Uh And this relationship with you, my friend here, and your wife started many years ago in the same way. I thought, well, this guy seems okay, and he's a Christian, (laughs) but he seems okay, so I'm okay with him. Uh And then we became good friends. yes. Yes.
2: Yes.
0: So to back up from that, how did you get out of the ministry and into government employment?
2: I was working for this large Christian organization, and at the time they had a requirement that if you were going to be working for them for more than a few years, they wanted you to get a master's degree. And so I was working on campus here in town, and my wife had already started a master's program in counseling, and I was assisting her with her papers and stuff, and I became interested in that. And since I had to pick something to get a master's degree in, I picked that. And so after 11 years of working on campus, I transitioned into becoming a therapist, and my first job that I got was with our state agency.
0: And so at that point, you had had a few negative experiences regarding the culture wars. Could you describe that?
2: I became a Christian in the mid-70s. And it was in 1978 that Jerry Falwell started The Moral Majority. And I was pretty confused at that time about that kind of talk, about this kind of us-versus-them language coming from Christians. But I didn't really react to it. And you've had to
1: explain this to me because you, you, like my wife, have understanding of the history of that. But you watched it unfolding. Yes. You became a Christian in the mid-70s, as you just said. But there wasn't a big culture war. No, there wasn't. It started shortly after that.
2: And in fact, I think that there was this thing called the Jesus Movement in the late 60s and early 70s. And that was marked by Christians being known as being a loving community and being inclusive, I think. And so this kind of us versus them idea of preserving our own way of life against those people that we don't like and Hollywood or sexual immorality in general, those kinds of things. Rock and roll. Yeah, what happened was yeah, people began to feel like their way of life was threatened. And so Jerry Falwell and people like him decided to start using political power or the power of numbers to try to preserve their way of life. And that was confusing to me, but I didn't think much of it. So then after I got married, we got married in 1984. So it was quite a while after the Moral Majority thing happened in, in, I think it was in 78. And, and it
0: had been growing all that time.
2: Yes, it had been growing. And there was a very popular uh, ministry in the country called Focus on the Family, led by a guy named Dr. James Dobson. <laughs> and at that time, he was just this big hero, to, you know, teaching people how to parent their children well and teaching fathers how to be good dads and those kinds of things. But we started getting these letters from him every month, like six pages, back to back, tiny print. It? Us, every, anyone on his mailing list okay. was, were, were getting these letters where he was railing about everybody he didn't like and about, you know, how, you know, everything was threatening his way of life. And he really went off the deep end, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's when things really started to heat up because he was such a prominent national leader. And I think between Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and James Dobson, I think those three guys in many ways were, were part of the sort of hijacking of Christian America to be about power and to be about our way versus your way and especially this exploitation of us versus them that we need to be afraid of them, and we need to protect ourselves from them, whoever they are. And that really got started there. It it really got momentum, I think, in the mid-'80s.
0: And so you've been having these experiences where this particular subset of Christianity and this particular element of this culture that you had been steeping yourself in for so long had become repugnant to you, but you still felt like this was where you belonged, Yes. And along comes this Butch Dyke working in your unit.
1: <laughs> that was a little bit
2: later, but It was yeah. it was quite a bit later. Because
1: yeah. you you got so. into some more trouble because of oh. that, didn't you? I recall you going with me and my oldest kid, number 0. Number 0 child who's always got a girlfriend. Yes. Girlfriend of the week. And uh, <laughs> and my ex-wife to Gay Pride here yes. in town. Yes. And Saying, I know this person up on the stage who was setting up stage stuff. Uh-huh. And her and I had been in this corrections type group,
2: you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, gosh. That's right.
2: Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we were in an ex-gay group.
0: You were in an ex- You were not in the ex-gay group. You were helping lead the ex-gay <laughs> we group.
2: We were, yeah, helping lead it.
0: <laughs> you were yeah. on the yeah. board. You were on the board of the ex-gay group. You were not in yes. the ex-gay group.
2: Yeah. Uh, and yeah. being, to used to, right. being
1: used to Christians and their nonsense i just thought well i'm glad he's not doing that anymore (laughs) you know it
2: really was nonsense
1: you seemed really relieved that you weren't doing that and kind of just horrified that you didn't know any better
2: oh at the time i'm still horrified yeah (laughs) that i would have participated in that kind of nonsense so that's
1: what started going on sometime during the Mm -hmm. the 80s I yes. guess, is you got pulled into the us versus them somehow. Well, we didn't.
2: I've always had sort of more of this live and let live type of posture toward people in general. I don't, I don't tend to react negatively to others. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't buying into the us versus them, but still, the kind of general trend in the conservative Christian world that we were in was that if you were gay, it wasn't okay because the bible said you can't be you know in a relationship if you're gay and so this woman that that you mentioned we became friends with her after we moved here and she was a lesbian who was a christian who was part of this culture that was saying if you're gay you can't love who you are supposed to love so trying she was trying
1: not to be gay
2: Yes, and so she, she wanted to start this group here in town mm-hmm. where anyone that was gay would be supported in becoming straight.
3: That's part of the Exodus
2: movement. Yes. Okay. Thank and
3: you. so she asked us to be on the board.
1: So we were on the board for a while. You guys are popular. <laughs> <laughs> now you've
2: got a whole bunch of stuff going. Oh, it was crazy. Now, now she's in stuff. our
1: Bible study. Yeah. <laughs>
2: All these years later, this this was thirty years ago. Yeah.
0: thirty years ago, you uh-huh. were part of this ex-gay group. Mm-hmm. Yes, on the board as the straight guidance. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
2: The professional ministers. Yes, mm-hmm. and um,
1: and Are people coming to you and saying, "Help me not be so gay." Thankfully, no, no,
3: <laughs> no. They did that for each other. It was like a support group. We were just on the board. I don't know. They just needed some board members. So Mm
2: -hmm. she
3: asked us and we said yes.
2: Needless to say, it didn't work for anybody. No. No, it didn't
1: (laughs) because we met them at Gay Pride (laughs) Years later. later. Yes, it was years
2: later. And when I went to that Gay Pride, that was in probably 2005. That woman that we had been in the ex-gay group with back in the mid-80s, she saw me there and she (laughs) approached me with the most Puzzled look in her face. <laughs> what on earth are, you, that, doing so what what are, are you, you doing, doing here? What are you and the lesbians doing?
0: <laughs> well, did, did she see you with the lesbians or did she just see you?
2: Just the fact that I was even at Gay Pride, I think it caused her to question, like, whoa, was he gay after all?
0: Well, and you know? after all is, is right because you've had a number of people who've questioned yes. your sexuality and you are a very straight man. Yes. You are very attracted to women and only women. Yes. But he has, as we
3: know, an androgynous social uh, yes. functioning. When, right. when you
0: took your SAGE test, yes. That's which we referenced was. on the podcast before, Okay. then it said that everything about you is terribly male except the way that you socialize. Which yes. is
1: why he was running around with the lesbians at gay pride. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. Which is
0: also why you make such a good mental health professional, because you have that openness to numerous avenues of communication. But that also means that the way people see you is the way you communicate with them. And so they see you as being this marginally androgynous individual, which would generally cause them to question your orientation and or identity.
2: Lots of people have called me effeminate and wondered if I was gay and that kind of thing. What got me to that gay pride event was I had some gay friends and I heard them talking about it. And here I was, this rabid Christian, been a rabid Christian all my adult life.
0: I, I'm, gay I'm, fr- I'm sorry. I'm just amused by calling it <laughs> rabid. <laughs> I was. Like I, it's, it's this disease of Christianity. I
2: was so all in, you, you know. Kind of looked like that to yeah. me. But, you yeah. Know, but from the side I was on. So. I was always such a hair on fire Christian. And so here I was. With these gay friends and they were talking about gay pride and I was now, the culture war was now going full blown and I was devastated by it. It was around this period of time. I don't remember exactly when that Prop 8 passed in oh. California. And when it passed, I just broke down and wept at what my people were doing. Right. And, so, and so when my gay friends were talking about the gay pride, I remember praying to God and saying, Jesus, you always went to where others went. You gotten in a lot of hot water for eating with tax collectors and hanging out with so-called sinners. And so would you have me go to the gay pride festival and support my friends?
0: And I find that to be an amazing parallel right now with like the so-called religious freedom bills. Uh-huh. Oh, well, you don't have to make flowers for a gay wedding. And you don't have to make a cake for a gay commitment ceremony. And you don't have to let gay couples stay at your hotel or your bed and breakfast. And I'm sorry, but if Jesus ate with prostitutes and visited tax collectors, and you're telling me you can't make a cake for my wedding?
1: (laughs) My understanding of those bills is that they were based on, this is an interview I had heard on NPR, and this part made sense to me, although I think it's overboard because i mean look at the obvious fallout but what i heard was a minister saying i don't want to be forced to do something such as minister at a gay wedding when i don't believe that that's what i should be doing and i'm thinking well So far, none of you have, if you don't think so. So what's the big deal? Uh Why does there have to be a big law about it? As far
0: as I know, there has always been a ministerial clause in every non-discrimination act. For example, when I went to a religious college, anyone who they perceived to be in a position of ministry, which at my college was anyone in any level of salaried management, was perceived to be in a leadership and or ministry role for a religious institution, and therefore they could discriminate based on faith. They couldn't discriminate based on orientation or anything else, but they could discriminate on faith. They could have you sign a statement of faith that was a legal document saying that you were not participating in these things that they felt to be immoral, including at the time drinking and dancing.
1: Wow. You were serious over <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> my senior year they lifted the dancing barrier. Uh-huh. And actually people who had been seniors my freshman year had witnessed the last year they forced girls to wear skirts. Wow. So it was actually some pretty quick change over the course of like a decade. <laughs> From making all the girls wear skirts to letting them dance.
1: Some of that they were only catching up with, okay? (laughs) The rest of everybody else. Yeah. Because they stopped making girls wear dresses or skirts to school when I was a kid, so.
0: Well, they did in most colleges.
1: Mm-hmm. It, by, not, not yours, because they still aren't singing Well, the a lot of there.
0: religious colleges, <laughs> and in fact, it was kind of a joke that some of our um, sister colleges, I should say, you know, ones who shared similar denominational backgrounds still had what we called pink and blue sidewalks. Which we didn't, they didn't actually have pink and blue (laughs) sidewalks, but that was sort of the level of gender segregation that they expected.
3: Wow.
2: You were in a very conservative college.
0: I was. I was. (laughs) But if you're in this level of ministry, if you are considered a minister, then you are allowed to discriminate about the services that you provide religious services to members of your religious community and it's not seen as discrimination it's seen as right to freedom of association at that point
2: so a lot of these these Bill proposals now are not about what the ministers do or don't do. It's about what the bakers do or don't do or their wedding photographers don't do or don't do.
0: Right. It's not about ministers at this uh-huh. point at all. It's about sovereign citizens or people who consider themselves to be individual entities who do not want to offer their services to what they consider to be morally repugnant purposes. Uh-huh. My favorite blog on this
3: topic was, um, it said something like, you know, if a gay person comes and asks you to bake them a, a wedding cake, bake them two. I mean, that's what Jesus talked about, yeah. right? Yeah, if, go if the someone makes you go one
0: turn mile, cheek. go with them too. Give if them someone hits you on one cheek, give them the other. Yeah. If someone wants you to bake their gay wedding cake, make them a second one. Exactly. It's, it, it's I mean, crazy it's to crazy. me that this is still such an issue that people are, like you said, it's the culture wars. It's not a matter of what does my faith actually expect of me. It's what does my culture yes. dictate?
2: Yes. My faith expects love.
0: So at this point, you did start to develop some Christian friends, which we have mentioned jumping ahead in the story that you ended up going to pride with. Some gay friends, I mean. uh huh. i are always
1: getting confused.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you had some Christian friends, although many of them were probably cultural Christians and not necessarily uh, red-letter Christians. But how did you end up? developing those friendships with gay people
2: it was through work i had moved to a new job and in that job i was working in the same group there were just seven of us and three members of our of my group were gay and so we naturally formed um relationships you know because we spent so much time together
1: and because you didn't exclude us from your life because we were gay
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes george is one of those Yeah. Although now you're a straight guy, so <laughs> I'll
2: call this Really, We could be friends even more now. Yeah.
1: We better do some guy things
2: soon.
1: You guys went hiking today.
2: Yeah, we did. <laughs> now we're talking about backpacking.
1: You guys went hiking today? I'm so
0: jealous. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I want to be one of the guys.
3: <laughs> I used to always say George was my husband's best friend, and it was that people would think it was strange because at that point George was female. And it didn't bother me at all. <laughs> and now it bothers me even less, I guess, because yeah. you guys are just hanging out together. As Us-
2: that. Usually when a woman's husband is best friends with a female, that's, you know, perceived as somewhat of a threat. But
0: It is, generally. Just like if George were not George, I might perceive the woman we call his work wife as a threat. Because they share a desk. They talk about everything from hemorrhoids to porn to... <laughs>
1: You know. Yes, we do.
2: (laughs) I had a work wife at work, but now that work work wife is now George's work wife.
0: (laughs) Guys are polygamous.
2: (sighs) Only at work.
1: Darn it. So far.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. I did the poly thing for a while. It was a lot of work. (laughs) Anyway. So you told me that when you first started working with gay people at your job, government employment... You know, you didn't really have the choice to say, I'm not gonna work with these people. But you He def- hired us. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I was their
1: boss. He hired all the queers.
0: <laughs> but you definitely had a choice to say, you know, I'm going to interact friendly, I'm going to interact lovingly, or I'm just going to do the bare minimum to get my job done.
2: The the whole idea that of the sort of us versus them in the Christian culture was something that I was never able to subscribe to. And the Jesus that I thought that I had gotten to know and and the Jesus that I had been, I felt closely walking with for so many, for decades by this time, I felt that this was was somebody that I could follow because he was so loving. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to me that he talked way more about love than anything else. And so there wasn't any struggle for me to be friends with my gay friends at work, there wasn't any problem. I didn't have to overcome any barriers at all. Because to me, it really was a non-issue. The only issue for me with my gay friends at work was knowing that my people, the Christians of our nation, had become such a toxic hate group. And so my biggest concern was, since I was a Christian and people would know I was a Christian, that people would feel that they couldn't be themselves with me. And that just broke my heart.
3: And that's when you started praying.
2: That's when I started praying, because, because I felt like Christians had had created so much discomfort for members of the LGBT community by passing these constitutional amendments about marriage and, and all this other hate speech in, in the culture wars. And that's when I prayed, God, would you please love the members of my team that are gay through me? I did not pray that that he would make me more loving, but that he would love them through me.
3: And because you were their boss, you couldn't do anything overtly Christian
0: or
2: faith-based.
0: You couldn't even talk about your faith.
2: No, that would have been wrong.
0: But even so, they knew that you were a Jesus guy. Yep. Yes,
1: I I went home and told my ex-wife who obviously I was still married to at the time. That sounds funny the way I said it. <laughs> uh, I went home and, and said well, to my, my, then my, wife. my then wife, do you know he's a Jesus guy? And she's like, no way. He seems so like smart and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I know, huh? But he seems okay. So, you know, it's all right. That's good. Yeah.
3: And then you guys started hanging out outside of work, doing projects together and building fences and helping each other with tasks. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. yeah,
1: we like to do those things.
2: I had tools that George didn't have. And, you know, being a 6'3 and born into a male body with all the muscle mass, I could do things that George couldn't do. Yep. And so it was fun to help out with all the household projects. Mm-hmm.
0: And George likes to do household projects.
2: I do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I do.
0: These past few years of renting have been not very enjoyable for you because mm-hmm. no, you haven't been able to do I as much. look at all the
1: things that are wrong and think,
0: We'll fix that soon, I hope.
2: I hope so, too.
0: So tell about the lunch at the Gay Pride.
2: Have you heard this story?
0: No, I don't think I have.
2: George says, hey, we're going to lunch, and do you want to come? So we went, and it was me and one other guy, and the, the other guy was gay. And then it was George and his partner, and then I think two or three other women that were there,
0: so a bunch of lesbians and yes, another gay guy. Yes. Right.
2: And you and me, and we were sitting there in, in this big booth in a restaurant.
0: I think I have heard the story.
2: <laughs> and I certainly wasn't going to volunteer that I was a Christian in this setting because it didn't really it wasn't really relevant, but somehow it came out. Huh. And From uh, one of us, I don't know if yeah. it was even you or if it was one of us, but what I do remember was that all conversation stopped. At see, and I moment. didn't
1: notice any of it because...
2: Because you were used to me.
1: Yes, I was yeah. used to you, and I was also used to my culture that was kind of in shock dealing with your kind. Yeah, <laughs> so right. So it all went past me. Yeah. And
0: I've seen that a lot, where people who have been so hurt by the Christian community and who have been raised to see in themselves everything that your kind hates. Yes, that automatically they are going to be on the defensive. And it's not going to be a matter of, we hate you. It's a matter of, you frighten
1: us. I know I'm a lot like you are in our friendship. I'm sure that's part of why we're friends in the sense that I just thought, well, he's here with us and he's okay, so it's all good. Because I didn't think of you in the same way that they did. I think of the Christian culture, especially then. I would think of it that way. I have to say, not many years before that, when I was living somewhere else in a place where hitchhiking was legal, I was driving somewhere. I was on a vacation and driving by myself in in a car, and there were some hitchhikers, and I picked them up, and they said to me they were Christians. And so, you know, trying to, like, say that they were okay because they were Christians, and I said, that's okay, I'll give you a ride anyway. (laughs) Because that's how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted them to know that, that wasn't your ticket <laughs> with me. Mm-hmm. But but I'm not going to hold that against you. And I wasn't holding that against you. And you weren't holding anything anybody else was doing against them. And that's how we approach things. Yes. And, but for other people sitting there, it wasn't that way. I'm,
2: and I don't blame them for being angry that I was there because they were clearly angry. <laughs> and, um, and all the conversation just sort of stopped. And everyone was staring at me. And I felt like the vibe that I was getting from especially the women in the room, was, how dare you? How dare you come to our event where, you know, the one place where we can feel safe, completely safe and comfortable in our own skins. How dare you? And there was was this sort of awkward silence. And George's wife at that point is the one who spoke up and said, no, 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 he's different. He loves us. And so then the conversation sort of returned to normal. Mm -hmm. But it was a really good experience for me, to feel hatred because my people had been making people feel hated. And so I felt it was good for me to feel hated, to feel hated back, you know, so I could get a, a feeling for what it was like to be on the other side of what my people were doing.
0: In my world, we call that experiential learning. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I,
1: I found it interesting that I didn't even know about this till many years later. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It was also
3: an example that God had answered his prayer that God would love through him.
0: That George's then wife recognized, right. he loves us.
3: Right, and he had never said a word about it, but somehow it came through his actions. That's great.
2: All I was doing was... Showing up at their house and helping George with projects. Yeah.
0: We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! You boys are talking soft, both of you.
2: Okay. I'll talk a little louder. Project. Project.
0: Yes. Yeah, should we trade places? You can sit up here closer to yeah. the microphone input. Because you're I could louder. Anyway. Anyway. No, yeah. I'm, good. I'm good. I am louder anyway. I am too. Because I'm used to theater. Okay.
2: <laughs> I'm used to imposing my beliefs in others.
0: <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. That's
2: what we're going to do. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to tell y'all you you're going to hell.
2: In a hand <laughs>
0: Surprise. <laughs> not the interview you were hoping for? Uh, what? Damn it.
2: People who are not straight and cis, you're out of luck.
0: <laughs> Get out of my house.
2: <laughs> I'm very binary, as some of my friends complain about.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to stand over here and nod. You <laughs> have to wait for that. Sorry. <laughs> He'll probably turn around and just lay himself back down, I know, but he's going oh, to get water first. He's pretty
2: stiff, isn't he? Good, I'll get he is water old
0: stiff. Yeah, if you need more water or anything else, like now's that. the time to get it. I think I have a water cup somewhere.
2: All right. We'll see how stiff I am. Oh,
0: good luck. <laughs> After that hike today, you're probably very stiff.
2: <laughs> the third time I've done a freak. Nice. Third, third time in one you went week. on a freak
0: today? I am so terribly jealous.
2: <laughs> huh? George said... That he was just, you know, didn't have a lot of time, he was just going to do a little
0: bit of it. <laughs> I'm sure. Once he got up there, he couldn't
1: quit, could he? No. <laughs> no, we had that conversation, too. We really didn't think either one of us would make it that far, because yeah. he said he was, yeah. he he was moving sore. pretty slow. I yeah. was. Really sore. But we were just walking him slow, so nothing hurt. No. Nice. Yeah. Yes, it was so nice. It, we ended up actually going all the way up there. Okay. <laughs> okay. What we have to do is turn him around. turn <laughs> him around, he it's okay, I have to go this way.
2: <laughs> Normally, I like to give you attention, but not right now.
1: Okay. No,
0: no.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: no isn't he funny? Lie down.
2: Oh, mom.
0: Sit. Sit. Sit
1: sit. Ah. He's, sit
0: for me. He's, he's trying. It's yeah. just really good.
2: Good
0: boy. Good boy. Sit. <laughs> Lie down. Lie down.
2: <laughs> Lie down. <laughs> he's not too old for this bullshit.
1: <laughs> oh why don't you, uh, what why don't you if you get him tipped over? But he doesn't tip over very easily. He, he doesn't. Over. He's too
0: stiff. He doesn't tip anymore. Yeah.
1: Oh well. Alright. He might, he might give us a a chance he'll probably settle back down yeah he will here he goes you have to go sit down lie down so all right so so uh,
0: where were we